0: So I am told we continue the Sefer Nefesh Shimshon. That's discussing the arrangement of prayer. And after discussing Moda Ani, and after discussing accepting upon your midst, the midst of the love of your fellow Jew, the next point he's talking about is that your prayer must be out of a sense of genuine joy. And he quotes the Arizal, The Rizal says it's forbidden for a person to pray it with sadness and depression. And if you pray it with a sense of sadness and depression, your soul will not be able to receive the supernal light that flows during prayer. Except for when you're saying a confession in prayer and you detail your sins, then it's good to be... Depressed, But only then. The rest of the davening, it's a tremendous damage if you're sad and depressed. It has to be with extra joy, as much as possible. Like a servant who serves his master with great joy. And if a servant serves his master with sadness, it's repulsive that service before the master. And it seems that the main virtue and perfection of receiving the divine presence also depends on this happiness. So whether it's in prayer or not, and don't uh, you know make light of this because there's a great reward involved in here. That's what the Arizal says. Rapinkas quotes his Rebbe who says the following, there's a lot of thoughts that may not be good thoughts for prayer, But if you have those thoughts, they may blemish the prayer, but it's still an acceptable prayer. It's like one with losing points, right? It could take away, it could diminish. But there are certain thoughts that will render the entire prayer invalid. And that one is sadness and depression. If you're praying, uh, out of sadness, you're feeling sad as you're praying. You could feel sad before you pray, but when you pray, no place for sadness. And if you're sad when you pray, it's a zero. Right now, there's a lot of sadness going on. Okay, there's sadness, but not when you pray. When you turn to God, there's no sadness. We will, we will see what this means. And again, we have to know what simcha means again. Yeah. The word simcha needs a lot of explanation. We constantly have to explain it. Well, it's for two factors, only sadness and depression? Or... What's, what's, those make it totally invalid. It's a zero. Okay. The other things can knock it down a lot of points. Okay. But sadness and depression turns it into a zero. It's like you did not talk to God, period. And it seems, uh, wh- why is that so? Why is that so? So, first he goes into a little bit of a discussion where at this point I'm gonna say now, you're gonna say, I'm not really, I don't understand what he's saying. He's gonna explain it again in another day or two with much more detail. So if you don't get this part 100%, don't don't be sad. Okay, don't be depressed. We, we will learn that there are four stages to prayer. Prayer is a ladder that you climb. The highest status when you're in the Amida is called the world of Atsilus. Okay, a lot of this is Kabbalistic, but we'll just say it briefly, but we'll try to make it more real as well. So there's a world called Atsilus, which is the highest world. That's the world where, so to speak, God resides. Now it's a plane of existence, but nothing physical. Below that is Kriyashma and the blessing that corresponds to the world of Bria. The Psuket the songs of praise, that parallels the world of Yitsira. and the beginning, the morning blessings and Korbanos, that parallels to the world of Asiya, which is our world here, the physical world of doing. Okay, so. In other words, that's the world we understand that we're in. Then there's higher levels. We'll talk more about it as another another section specifically deals with this structure of prayer. Yeah? So one should not miss any prayers. That's why you shouldn't skip anything, because you're skipping parts of the ladder. That's number one for sure. Okay, but the bottom one is simple. The world of us, it's our world, our world of action. The one we perceive, that's the beginning, and that is when you say the standing blessings. God, you open up my eyes. That's the world you see. The korbanos, the sacrificial offerings we brought in the basic English. That is this world. Now, there's higher worlds. But then he says, but regardless of this, in a general way, even though we go up to mystical levels, but really in a certain way, all of prayer is still in the world of Asia, this world. How does he prove this? It's a Gemara Shabbos. One of the rabbis saw another rabbi who was davening a real long time. And because of that, it was taken away from his studying time. So the rabbi criticized him and said, look at this. You are leaving eternal existence and engaged in temporal existence. Meaning to say, studying Torah is called eternal existence. Praying is temporal existence. So Rashi explains, what does that mean? Prayer is temporal. It's usually for what you need. Healing, peace, food. That's temporal. That's not eternal. So Torah, Torah are the eternal truths of God clinging to eternal truths of God and that is clinging to that which represents the world to come when you're learning Torah you are studying God's infinite wisdom and that's going to be with you forever and ever and ever will never leave you and that's what we call that eternal life studying Torah is eternal life prayer is temporal life, why? because we're praying about things we need right here and right now and hopefully God responds to it, but they're temporal. So anyway, but he calls tefillah chayesha, temporal life. In other words, it's the main way that we, it's our system of holiness in our world. In other words, how do we get close to God living in this world? It comes from prayer. Okay. So that's why it's the world of doing. In other words, prayer is is something we do now. We're not gonna pray in Olam so to speak. Why? Because we gonna have no problems. And you'll be very close to God. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna mind melt with him. We're going to study his Torah. No one's gonna be sick in the world to come. No one's gonna be, no problems. There's no eating, there's no drinking. It's just the mind, the essence of the person. So how are you gonna get close to God? Now obviously, so prayer now is really a this-worldly thing. So now we can understand based on it being this-worldly, even though there's four levels, there has to be a this-worldly component vis-a-vis our understanding. And this one we grasp more. So therefore, when when we say the standing blessings and we say the sacrificial order, we are fixing up in this world our recognition that our daily success depends on Hashem. Okay, and and we all depend on Hashem. The fact—look at all the things. You open my eyes. You straighten the back. Like all these things is all we bring carbonas. We do things. Okay, so it, it's all involved in our daily success depends on Hashem. We get to the songs. We're singing the songs in this world, like the angels singing above. We're getting emotionally connected. And with Kriyashma and the blessings, we begin to understand. It's an intellectual pursuit of understanding what it means that there's one God. We're intellectually connecting God. And we come to the Amida that is cleaving with God completely. We're standing before the King. And these are all this-worldly understandings for us. So we start prayer by saying, listen, we're physical beings and everything physical in this world depends on Hashem. And then, so our bodies are connected to Hashem. Then our emotions, we sing praises, our emotions connect to Hashem. Then we say the Shema, our mind connects to Hashem. If your actions and your emotions and your mind is connected to Hashem, then you can bond with Hashem and talk to Hashem. That is, and that's all of this world experience, still this world experience. Yeah. So prayers are the base, right? It is the base. It is, uh, like we just said, it is the first uh, 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 first step on the ladder. It is the base. So it, no, no, just the, stand, the first blessings is the first step. No, no, it's the base. That you, it's the base, the of, base are the brachot in the beginning and the korbanot. That's the base. So what yeah. I'm trying to understand is if if we are not praying, right, and, um, then probably we're not able to learn also. If you're not praying at all to God? Yeah, if you're not, if you're not praying, then you'll not be able to learn. A, also person, also. a person could learn. You could learn. How his mind will be set if it's not uh, you, what do you, you What do you mean? You could take out a kumash and learn kumash. What stops you from learning kumash if you don't have? him? I'm not able to, able to put it right way. What? I'm not able to say what I want to say exactly. Maybe some... Say it in Indian, <laughs> in Farsi. <laughs> in other words why would you think why would a person learn if he doesn't doubt to God yes he has to doubt to us but, yeah, I know but what if he doesn't believe in dominant? what if he's secular what if he's secular Jew but you want to reach out to him so how are you going secular. to learn so you just teach him to, you teach him so Torah I think he has to pray. if a person doesn't know anything about Judaism what, why is he going to pray he doesn't even know if he should believe in God so, we got to teach him about God. No, he's not learning. Anyway, let's move on. So, now, so what, what are we sowing so far? That prayer itself is the way we relate to living in this world. So, the Gemara and Makkah said that, that there were different Sadiqim uh, who put the Torah, the entire Torah, based on um, foundations. Some said it was 13 foundations, some 9 foundations, 3. And then finally, Habakkuk said the entire life in this world is based on one foundation. Emuna, faith. As it says, Tzaddik b'emunah so A tzaddik lives with his faith. So therefore, the one thing that our whole reality depends on is faith. Only if you have faith are you considered alive. A person who doesn't believe in God is like he's dead. What does he mean? He's, he's not a human, he's an animal. Humans are rational animals, but those aren't living beings. So how faith is developed, How what? How faith, how Emunah is developed? By learning of a plane. How is Emunah developed? Emunah is something you have to think about and understand. There's many ways you can come to Amunah. We're not getting into that right now, but you got to believe in God, not just phony baloney believe in God, but you have, the way we've been explaining it, everything depends on Hashem. He's the master of all our destinies. He is at that Amunah. That's what we live by. All of Torah is meant to bring us to that point of Amunah and Hashem. And if, we don't have, and if that's not our goal, then the whole Torah is a waste of time. If we don't come to this... Living in the reality of Hashem—that's emuna. So that becomes the central point of life is emuna, and and uh, and then there's a lot of mystical ideas again, but just to show there's a connection. So the the, the mystics tell us that the idea of emuna is also the idea of malchus. And Malchus is relating to Hashem involved in our world. And the world of Asiyah is called Malchus. And prayer is called Malchus. So all these three things are all called Malchus. They're all one connection. Prayer is a connection to the God that is in our world. And this that is that remanifests in our world. The whole system of life of prayer is that it all starts that man lives in this world, and his prayer expresses the samuna in Hashem. You don't pray to God unless you believe in God. Why would you pray to God if you don't believe in Him? And that's and for what? For things in this world. Again, in the next world, there's nothing to pray to God about. So we're praying in this world about God who affects us in this world when we have a moon in that. Now, here is the most important thing. So, if we are saying now that prayer is a manifestation of emuna, the tzaddik lives with emuna. Emuna is how you live in this world. So now, what is the biggest contradiction? What is the biggest character trait that would contradict emuna? The greatest, what feeling one could have that would contradict the fact, person say, I believe in God. I, me and God, were like this, we're so close. Now, what, uh, what, what do you call it? What emotional flaw would show that he's lying to himself? Sad, oh, exactly, sadness. If a person is sad, by definition, he's telling everybody he does not believe in God. Now maybe deep, deep, deep down in the deep recesses of his soul, beyond his conscious reality, there's a belief in God. He may say he believes in God. But in practical sense, we don't see a believer. Why? Because if somebody really believes in our Father a Father in heaven that loves us, And he has the power to help us in every way. Why are we ever sad? Because if you're sad, that means you don't believe God. Now, why would you be sad? Now, again, we've got to define our terms. When we say happy and sad, these are English terms. These are not Jewish terms. Simcha means, again, we have to always know this, Simcha does not mean, who jump for joy, happy. And sadness and depression does not necessarily mean crying. Gotta understand this clearly, this is one of the biggest corruptions of the Hebrew language. English cannot translate Hebrew. We can only say this is Simcha, do not say the word joy. Get the wrong idea. Simcha means that you are totally clear that what's happening now is exactly what's supposed to be happening. There could be no better state to be in life is to know that everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. And that's why a person is in Simcha if he is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. If a person is doing something that has a job that helps society and that's something Hashem wants him to do that person is in simcha even if the work is very hard and maybe the job sometimes requires that he's going to cry on the job but he's doing God's work he's doing what he's supposed to do that person is in a state of simcha when we go to a wedding Why do we call it a simcha? Because when a man and woman get married according to Jewish law, that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. When you take a little eight day old boy and circumcise him, it's a simcha because that's exactly what's supposed to happen. When a boy or a girl becomes bar about mitzvah, it's called a simcha, not because we're happy, because that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Now they are responsible for their actions. Now they have free will choice. Now what they do makes a difference. None of them have to be um, corrupted with crazy uh, acts of jumping up and down and being happy, which maybe will make a mistake. They oh, we're going to make. Now, of course, to recognize the simcha, we do things that make the body happy. We have a nice meal, but you don't have to have a rock star performing. That's simcha. Now, um, there are. So there's another term. It's called Yagon That means when things are not happening the way they should be happening. So when are you when you're supposed to feel sad when you recognize a sin that you've done. That's something that should not be happening. And that you're supposed to be sad and depressed about. You follow, but anything else that goes on in this world okay so now somebody is sick now remember there's two parts to the human being and this is very important there is the raw physical human emotional side of the human being that we're not necessarily in control of and don't have to be in control of but then there's the mental understanding of am I in the place I'm supposed to be at at this time that's very important to understand This is where people make all these mistakes. Okay. So a person can be not well. A person can be physically suffering about something. Can be physically crying because the situation hurts. No one's supposed to deny those feelings. But that isn't who you really are. Who you are is what your mind says your mind says I don't understand the reason but God does and he knows right now I'm in the best place I'm supposed to be in. I'm supposed to be sick today for reasons that God understands. Maybe it's because he wants me to do tshuva so I'll definitely try to do tshuva but the person is in a state of simcha meaning I'm in the place I belong because God put me in the place and therefore I'm I have simcha knowing that this is not just that God forgot about. So, simcha does not mean jumping up and down for joy. That's why the rabbis say, just like you make a bracha when something appears to be good, we make a bracha when something appears not to be good. Why? Because we know they're both from Hashem. And they both have made b'simcha. simcha. So something good happens, you say, bless you God, king of the universe, who's good and does good. When something bad happens, we say, bless you, God, you yours. Who's the true judge? But both of them have to be made with simcha. So you can make one where you're smiling and you're happy that your child got married. Let's say you, you win the lottery, you win $10 million, you make that bracha. Because you know, God has made exactly that I should be the winner. And I'm in the best place I'm supposed to be. So if God forbid a close relative of yours dies... You say, God's the true judge. I say the blessing, B'Simcha, knowing that I'm exactly in the place where I'm supposed to be. God knows exactly what he's doing, and what he's doing is absolutely correct. And I accept his, I, I can humanly be sad, and I can cry, but I still have to be Bisimcha. If You're on a shiva for an unloved like a spouse. It's very hard to have that happen but that is, a Jew is imminently capable of doing it because we have a holy soul and we believe, we have a muna in God. Now let's let's look at it very simply. You're you're mourning for a beloved relative. Do you think it was God made a mistake? That might enter your mind. Okay, but ultimately, do you think God made a mistake or not? Do you have a muna or do you not have a muna? Are you smart enough to know that you're not as smart as God? And although you can I cannot see how a kind God could do this, but maybe God could. Right? If you knew that this person was a transmigrated soul of a serial raper that needed a tikkun, like God knew that 700 years ago he was a serial raper, and now got transmigrated into the form of a woman, who dies by being raped and then killed, and maybe that was the tikkun, then you know exactly what's supposed to be happening in Santa. We don't know. So we cry, of course you cry. If you don't cry, you're not a human being. But we put that in one compartment of the brain. Brain has a lot of compartments. But then the other time we say, but God knows what he's doing. I, can't, I get up the next day. I don't need to know every answer because I trust God. He's done a good job until now. He's promised the survival of the Jewish people and that's come true. And he writes in his Torah, when we all listen to him, things are good. When we don't listen, things are not good. And guess what? Things are not good now in Israel because we don't listen to him. <laughs> Finished. Things are not good in Israel because we don't talk to them enough. So that is the Simcha. If you are depressed, now that when you get depressed, now there's something called sad. Okay, you can always be sad, but depressed, that means you really think that things have not turned out the way they're supposed to turn out. That means you don't believe in God. You can, you can, you are allowed to be in pain. You're allowed to feel pain. You're allowed to cry. And you should. You should. But at the same time, you have to be visible knowing God knows exactly what he's doing. And if you had a choice to be in another place, you wouldn't want to be in another place. How could I say that? Because God knows what place you belong in right now. That is the critical point. So now, if you are a depressed person, what does that mean? You're not letting your emuna muscles work. And you think that God really is not in control. Well then, why are you wasting your time praying to God? That's why it is, a sadness makes prayer a zero. We're talking about this sadness in the mind. Depression in the mind. We're not saying the person's crying. Crying, you understand the difference? We, we, we pray with crying also. We you can pray it. and cry. Yeah. Because it hurts. And you're feeling people's pain. There's nothing wrong with feeling You're feeling your own pain. God, I'm in a lot of pain. And God says, good, so talk to me about it. And if you talk to God while you're crying, that's a very great level. Because what are you saying? You're saying, God, in spite of the fact that I'm hurt so badly to the point of crying, I know you're the only one I can turn to because you're the only one who's doing what is right. That's why prayers from tears are more efficacious than stoic prayers. Well, God told us that everything's okay. I'm not even gonna cry. Whoa, you're not even gonna cry? So that that doesn't make, it it, it doesn't hurt you? Where's your humanness? then I guess it doesn't matter to you if anything changes. But if you're crying, that means this is really hard for me. And it could be. But you turn to God and say, but I have full confidence that I know you know what you're doing, and therefore I can be basimcho while I'm crying. That's the point. So let's have an example of this. The Rambam writes... Anyone who does not believe in the coming of Mashiach or he does not anxiously await his arrival, he's a, he's, a, he's, he's denying the altar. It's one of the 13 principles. Now, look what he said. He didn't only say he who doesn't believe in the Mashiach. If you don't believe in the Mashiach, it means you don't believe there's a whole game plan God set forth. You. you don't believe there's a whole system that God made up that's not enough what if I believe in Mashiach but I don't care if he doesn't come if you're not anxiously anticipating for Mashiach to come you're also as bad as the guy who doesn't believe you can say what are you talking about I believe it but I don't care if he comes or not so then guess what that means you don't think it's that important right if you really believe it's gonna come, don't you want it to come? And if you don't, that means either you don't think it's coming or it's not important. Let's say I'm gonna tell you, guys, you you won the lottery, you could pick up your check next Monday for $20 million. And you're gonna say, well, I don't care if the day doesn't come. If you say that, that means I don't think this is worth anything. No, you should be very anxious. When's when's it going to come? Or let's say there's been a delay. There's been a delay in the government releasing the money and this and that. We'll let you. Well, let me know right away. I got a lot of things I plan on doing with that 20 million. I don't care. Well, that's a different story. Now, Mashiach is way more than 20 million dollars. And if you're not anxiously awaiting that, well, let's say better, you want to know what we can learn from this? I'll give you a good example. So you may say, okay, why is God creating this hostage situation? There's a million reasons and I don't s- s- expect, plan on knowing all, but I can give one minor reason we could add on to the pile. The way these relatives are waiting for their captives to come back is the way we should be waiting for Mashiach. Because Mashiach is 10 times better than what this renewal is. And we're not minimizing. When you see these beautiful, heart-wrenching pictures, oh, the mother's back with the child and this and that. It's beautiful. Don't you think the any going better than that? And all those people, you think they could sleep at night? Okay, why is it that the rabbis have a concept called the prayer of Tikkun Chatzos, the midnight prayer? Holy people get up at midnight and pray for the restoration of the Beisam. Why? You know what it really means? They can't sleep at night. You can sleep at night without a Beisam without a Mashiach. Then you're like a parent who could sleep at night even though their kid is abducted by the Palestinians. Why is God showing us this? He's showing us these pictures to see this is good, this is human, this is a beautiful thing. So how come we don't have it for Mashiach? We think Mashiach is less? All world suffering will end when Mashiach comes. God's glory will come out when Mashiach comes. Isn't that better than a release of a hostage? Humanity's minds that are being taken hostage. Isn't that something that's worth yearning for? So therefore, the same thing with prayer. If you are turning to God, and now you can be crying, you can have emotional sadness because you're waiting. You're waiting for your child captive to come back, but you still have to pray with Simha, praying, knowing Hashem. I know you know you're doing what's best, and I turn to you that I have the strength to trust you and believe in you. And I know Hashem, it hurts you more than it's hurting me that she's not coming back. And that is the expression. So if you now come to the plate with this simcha, meaning to say, I'm doing the best thing I can be doing and Hashem, whatever I'm praying for, it's because you've set up the situation. You don't have that, you're not praying. So that is a critical point in simcha. Okay, tomorrow we will get into the idea of pausing before you're to appreciate exactly what we're talking about. Okay, shakayach everybody.